that is not a black eye. This is nothing. We are Thursday night. We have a free practice session one that we are not doing. They're going to seal the brain drain covers and nobody's going to talk about that tomorrow morning anymore. There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you are not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1019, November 20th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say the hoopla and razzmatazz go down the drain. Max and Red Bull continue their reign. Viva Las Vegas, indeed. Back to you, Chief. Thank you, Nasser. On tonight's program, Viva Las Vegas. Viva! Viva Las Vegas! Yes, indeed, we had it. And now, fans told to leave during FB2. FIA cover up blunder with penalties. The Broncos use Max Verstappen as an audible. And we'll talk about that. The implications. Jacques Villeneuve gets married in the Paddock Chapel. And let's not forget this week's interview. USF Pro 2000 race announcer extraordinaire Rob Howden. And just a reminder, folks, we do need your contributions to keep this program on the servers. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab on the front page. You know, deep down, you want to... Nas, welcome to the studio. I'm sure you're hungover from the caviar, the champagne, the long cigars. Are you recovering? Absolutely, sir. Uh, nothing better than waking up at one in the morning and to watch a race, not from Japan or Australia, but from Las Vegas, Nevada. But you know, as Mr. Boss Gags would say, Jojo dig those spinning lights, way out games and dizzy heights below him. Liberty Media's OTT, A-list celebrities, show-it-all F1 fanfare is now part of Las Vegas' glittering history. I have never seen so much hoopla criticism before any Grand Prix, even when F1 went beyond the Iron Curtain for some Hungarian goulash in 1986. And do you remember some years ago when natives were getting restless in Bahrain, there was a lot of, uh, we should not go there. Yeah, but this was OTT on that end too. But when it was all over, after midnight local Las Vegas time, we had one of the most exciting races of the season. The race gave us one of the rare sights in Formula 1 these days, and somebody must have hit the jackpot in Vegas, and that somebody passed Max Verstappen on the track to take the lead. That was very, very impressive. And final laps for Mr. Rogers, in the immortal words of Darren Waltrip before a NASCAR race, Boogity, boogity, let's go racing boys. Victory has put Max on level with Sebastian Vettel, 53 victories, 
third on the all-time list at the age of 26, behind only Mikhail Schumacher, 91 wins, and leading the way and still in relentless pursuit of more, Lewis Hamilton, 103 Grand Prix wins. When it was all done and star-dusted, all the criticism went down the same drain the naysayers were pitching and moaning about. Vegas has gone from Flamingo to Formula One, Dan Quichon to Bugsy Siegel and John Malone. Who could ask for anything more? Just one thing. The unwashed and zestfully washed masses would like to see the ticket prices come down from the stratosphere to the strip. That's my only rage of the race. But Mr. Rogers, we need to talk about something far more important and impressive, and I'll let you take the mic and tell me how you like the pre-race show. So, are you talking about the opening ceremonies, Nasser? Si, senor. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, the problem is they picked a very weird decoupage of artists, and some of them shouldn't have been there, and the other ones were just fine. And I liked the little love between Nico Hulkenberg and Fernando Alonso. <laughs> to be honest with you, if they had the artistry in terms of singing down, I wanted to hear Deep Purples. Dalida. Yeah, Dalida. Dalida would have been good. Yeah, they could bring her back. But anyway, you know, the weekend, I, when I sat down and and I thought everything was going to be exciting and Carlos Sainz had the the incident... I don't know. I thought this was starting on a very strange and somewhat macabre start. Well, the show was very impressive put on by Formula One. And it's Vegas, so it has to be expected in that format. The drivers were introduced on a race platform. And of course, not everyone was elated. Max called it 99% show and 1% sporting event. He said drivers look like clowns. I think they would have looked like clowns if they were dressed up as Elvis or Liberace, and I was really afraid that Liberty Media might do that. But I did not see George Russell dressed up as Lady Gaga, so I am okay with the pre-race show. And sir, let's talk about the track. Can I make a quick comment on the show? If I was in charge, so I would have brought the classics back. You know, the dancing girls with the feathers... Very little on. Each driver should have had his own dancing girl. That's how the host of F1 Weekly would have done it. I want to say something, but I better better not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like most new F1 circuits, the Vegas track design is from the mind of Herman, the German Telke. The race is promoted by Formula One, and they have spent over $500 million creating the shindig in the Sin City with a decade-long contract, and this includes a permanent, very impressive pit building. And it's the second longest lap of the calendar after Spa. You okay with the track layout, sir, without comparing it to Reims and Rouen? No, I like the track. I thought the track was, was beautiful. It was fast. I liked the little, well, it, it's a little hog. But nice track, high speed. I thought that it was genuinely wonderful. Just a little more inspection, the final little details. You got to tighten that stuff up. But no, I thought the, the track was off, awesome. The lighting was awesome. I think the whole production was pretty good. That's the other thing. A lot of people thought with the low grip levels that it was going to become 
1998 without rain. And none of that materialized. Very No red flags. It was very clean. Everybody made the adjustments. The tires proved to handle the, the low temperatures. The biggest problem for everybody, especially Christian Horner, is the time of day, or should I say night. The, the, the scheduling was a little on the bizarre side, and fatigue set in early for a lot of us. Exactly. Yeah, timing, I have an issue also. I mean, we're watching a race in the U.S., not in Pyongyang or uh, Tokyo or all these uh, faraway places. But anyways, we now move on to quali. The wild and prancing horses were able to drag away the pole position from the raging Red Bull of Mr. Max Verstappen. This was fifth pole of the season for Leclerc and number 23 of his career. Surprises of Q1. Both Papaya cars were unable to peel off fast laps and were unable to move into Q2, leading Zach Brown to say, and I quote, I'm very disappointed. The slow speed corners are not our favorite. Downforce is a struggle in the course of the season. Let's see what happens on Sunday. The race may be a surprise, end quote. Both McLarens out in Q1 was a big surprise for me, especially given their recent upsurge in races. In the previous street race in Singapore, Lando had qualified on the second row next to Leclerc. Surprises in Q2. This was a big surprise. Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez. Advancing to Q3, local yokel Logan Sargent and the new Aussie from Finlandia, Valtteri Bottas. Now, in the post Collie press conference, Leclerc was asked about the layout of the track and he said, street tracks are my favorite. And of course, Max, on the other hand, said he does not like street circuit and prefers high-speed tracks where you can push the limit. Anything you observed you uh, want to say about Collie? Were you surprised Lewis did not make it to Q3? I was surprised, uh, Lewis. But Lewis, you know, he's going through a funk right now. So it happens. But he's in Vegas. He loves the United States. So Lewis is in, uh, in his element. So that's why I was sort of surprised that he wasn't more of a factor. And, and Perez, I mean, they went into the garage and parked before the session was over. And I assumed it's because Sergio just remembered his frozen burrito was in the microwave. There you go. Okay, sir. Now we go on to the race. This was Vegas, and it reminded me of Bob Varsha's favorite saying from days gone by on F1 telecast. Ladies, time to show us your legs. We all thought Prancing Horse will have fast legs, but Red Bull, they shoot horses, don't they? Max did to Leclerc what he did to Seb in Mexico some years ago, forcing the issue and grabbing the lead. I think Charles needs to watch some Michael Schumacher starts and learn the art of chop-chop as soon as the lights are off. The stewards gave a five-second penalty to Max, like this was going to make any difference with the whole race to run. The first three laps, it looked like the doubters and the haters hit the jackpot. VSC on lap two, Fernando did a 360 of Fandango and lucky not to hit the wall or another car. Lap three, Lando into the barriers. He was taken to hospital, but he will come back to fight another day in Abu Dhabi. Were you surprised at the early mayhem, sir? Very surprised. I mean, I, I thought it was a little bizarre, especially, uh, the, well, the McLarens really surprised me in Q1, and then this issue, uh, they were definitely not comfortable. Not sure what's going on there. Yeah, I think Lando ran over a bump and lost it, but these things happen. 
Well, everybody seems to be blaming the track for their bump. I mean, is this track that bad? I mean, there are others blaming bumps on problems. I did. Yeah, the wind was against me and, you know, all sorts of excuses. Brembo. Hitco or Carbon... <laughs> yes. Or yeah, my favorite is uh, the team is French, so they are helping a French traveler. Yeah, I'm not European, so they're out to get me. You gotta be kidding me. Okay, moving on. Lap 10. And I've heard these excuses personally from drivers, believe it or not. At the level of GP2, in those, way, in those days, it was called Hapidas. And now, of course, Formula 2. And don't forget Sebastian Bourdais at Red Bull. Or Toro Rosso, I think it was called. Yes. Lap 10 of 50, Max had a two-second lead over Charles with Russell third. Williams were running fifth and sixth, and this was very impressive. Albon ahead of local lad Logan Sargent. Ukon was the man on the move, seventh after starting from 16th on the grid. Now, Mr. Rogers, by this time, we had seen enough of A-list celebrities. Who did you like? You must have missed Catherine Deneuve and Brigitte Bardot and Jean-Paul Belmondo. Ça, c'est vrai, mon gars. You know that uh, I do miss Catherine Deneuve. She was awesome. And Brigitte Bardot, you know, she's still, uh, I think she's 87, still lives in uh, Provence. So she's kicking ass. Uh, Heidi Bloom, for me, was knockout. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, lap 16, a sight to behold. Once in a blue moon opportunity, Max is passed on the track as Leclerc leads the and Max goes into the pitch to serve his five-second penalty and switch to hard tires. When Leclerc went into the pitch, the race leader was the mystery man of the 2023 season, Sergio Perez. Halfway distance, lap 25, Max up to fourth after playing Let's Get Physical with George Russell. Checo was still leading the race with Leclerc second, and third was mystery man from Montreal. The one and only Lance Stroll. Any comments on the argy-bargy between uh, Russell and Max? It was Russell f Russell's fault. Russell didn't see him. And in the end, he knew that. So, And Max, you know, he's on a roll. It's not going to end very very soon. No. and Well, the season will end very soon. But I think his super uber domination is going to continue next year also. Okay. Debris on track brought out the safety car. Now, this was interesting, and Charles even was surprised when they were in the lim limo. Uh, both Red Bull cars came for fresh rubber. Scuderia kept Leclerc out, and he went back to P1. What did you make of that uh, uh, call, sir? <laughs> I thought it was very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, it will be a very nice day, you know, when we hear Ferrari took a gamble and brought the driver in, and the strategy worked out. We haven't heard that in a while, have we? No, but they're trying, you know. You have to admit, though, what's great about this race is the Ferrari had great pace and kept up with the Red Bulls pretty good, so I was very proud of Leclerc. Yeah, the podcast pundits all over the web are saying that if they had brought in Charles also on the uh, for new tires, he probably would have won the race or if there was no safety car. But, you know, these things happen. When the lights went green on lap 29, top five were Leclerc, Perez, Gasly, Piastri, and Max. Lap 31, Max is fourth, while Perez piling pressure on Leclerc for the lead. This was accomplished on lap 32. Max was less than five seconds behind, which means, regardless of who the race leader was, his goose was simmering. Lap 34, a tremendous dicing between the Alpine aces 
Ocon taking fifth from compadre Gasly. You know, this team is really lost like Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, and I don't know how long they will last. I um, mean, you're Francais. What say you? Yeah, and they do show good speed. I mean, and, I mean, besides these guys not getting along, and I'm not sure. They just, they, they're sort of stuck in a funk, just like Lewis Hamilton. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. You know, it's an all-French team. You'd think they'd be doing a little bit better because I know Rena was capable. So, I, I, I really don't know. Yeah, lap 35, Leclerc passed Perez to retake the lead. Two Red Bulls behind is never a good sign when you are trying to win your first race of the season, especially when a lap later the car behind is driven by Mad Max. Lap 37, Goose was fully cooked by the Gordon Ramsay of the Netherlands as Mac took his birthright place at the front. With 11 laps, oh, this was my favorite scene, Mr. Rogers, Some, something you just have to admire. With 11 laps to go, Alonso was running 11th and his BFF, LCH, was solid 12th, proving once again, misery loves company. Perez was pumping fast laps and closing once again on Leclerc. Lap 43, Leclerc locked up and we have a Red Bull 1-2. And I'm sure you saw uh, the chairman of Ferrari, John Elkan, not looking too thrilled when that happened. No, he uh, texted Montezemolo right away. Lap 47, LCH says adios amigo to Alonso to take 8. Final lap. Last hurrah by Leclerc as he passes Checo to be the winner behind Max. Max is the king in America winning all three races this season. Kind of like Mark Marquez in MotoGP. I was tickled pink to see Justin Bieber wave the checkered flag and Rihanna wearing dark glasses around midnight and looking like Roy Orbison. Pretty woman walking down the strip. Any other thing or performance stood out for you, sir? Well, you know me, first of all, the Beeb is just not allowed in the F1 Weekly podcast. And no, a lot of cool people, Rod Stewart, who doesn't like Rod Stewart? It was great. I thought everybody was there. I mean, Shaq, what's up with the grid walk? Martin Brundle kind of trying to talk to Shaq. Shaq, he's at the Red Bull team's entourage. And then he goes up to Martin Brundle and goes, Lewis Hamilton, man. It was really bizarre. I, Martin Brundle just has no luck doing the grid walk. I think he should have been wearing something interesting to find good interviews. Yes. Now let's take a look at some of these drivers here. Max. By Max's standard, this was a scrappy race for him. Like he said, he had to work for it. For most of the race, I thought I was watching Max in a total Rosso. What is five-second penalty for the package that is Red Bull Honda? and the talent that is Maximilian Verstappen. His argy-bargy with Russell was the closest he came to losing the race. As mentioned before, and will be in the future also, Leclerc and other lads need a car half a second faster to beat Max. Because, you know, as you saw at the start, even if they have a equally competitive car, Max's aggression and the desire to win at any cost, like Senna and Schumacher, uh, will prevail in most of the races, if not all. Now, he has 18 wins from uh, 21 races with authority. And yes, Lady Luck plays her part in any success. His team is not looking for tires when he is in the pits. The end, <laughs> this is my favorite part. 
The engine McLaren paid $25 million to go away is now humming with success, singing, Who's sorry now? It was easy to say, Oh, Lewis does not have a great teammate, as was said about Schumacher. The reason these drivers, including Max, did not have a great teammate is very simple. This kind of rare, rare talent is not available through Amazon Prime. As much as I would like to see great competition every race and three drivers going into the final round to take the crown, like Brazil 2007, I am just amazed at the relentless brilliance of one driver. I am loving it. Max is super size, happy meal for Red Bull. Now the man in second place, Leclerc, he, poor guy, he must be wondering, like a line from an Elton John song, what do I do when lightning strikes me? His lightning is Max. Leclerc has 23 pole position, only 8 behind Max. But the win numbers are totally different. 5 to 53 in Max's favor. But when you know that initially the 5 second penalty was announced, I don't know why, but I, you know maybe it was 1 o'clock in the morning. I was under the impression that this will be applied at the end of the race. And I forgot he could come into the pits and do it that time. And that, based on that, I thought maybe we will see second win of the season for Scuderia. His final lap pass on Checo for second was very impressive, but was a case of close but no cigar. Now we come to Checo, Sergio Perez. He did what Christian Horner has been asking for a while. Just drive the car. I think he did that very well. His podium finish has secured Red Bull's first 1-2 in the driver's championship and I have a feeling that it has also secured him another season at Red Bull. What say you? Oh, for sure. I think they're going to keep everything static, keep everything calm, and no, Fernando is not going to Red Bull now, sir. Yes, and uh, Marco, Dr. Marco recently said he has given up on finding another Max. Like I said, this kind of talent does not come every few years. Okay, now we come to your favorite driver. LCH. He was MIA at his favorite race and place. They should rename Mercedes W14 to W13B. I think it is a black eye on the shining star. Hard to believe, seven-time world champion with more wins than anybody is going to finish two seasons without a win. Not sure if he's taking any comfort in knowing his ex-team mate, who could that be, has gone without a win in over a decade. And so now we come to final analysis. Yes, there were issues even long before race day. Ticket prices starting at $1,200. The manhole cover asking the fans to leave the grandstand in the middle of the night as the shift was ending for the security staff. Did they not think about this? I mean, I'm surprised. But after the race, even the most vocal critic Max was happy. So was Leclerc and most of the global motorsports media. But you can never please everyone, especially in the nation's capital. Now, this is from Washington Post. Let me read this here. Quick weddings, cocktails in driver's shoes, a class action lawsuit. The only thing that was predictable at the Formula One debut in Las Vegas was the winner. It was the celebration of an excessive sport in the most excessive of all cities. A lot of it is true. As far as class action lawsuit is concerned, all I can say Monday is a busy day in America. Anything you want to say, sir, about the race, uh, about the drivers, about anything before we move on to points to ponder? 
Oh, I just enjoyed the the entire uh, weekend Grand Prix. I, I mean, the scheduling was a little tough to deal with. But I thought it was a great, great event, even with the hiccups, which I did not like. But as Toto says, hey, we've seen much, much worse. This is cool, guys. So there you have it. I think it was exciting. Of course, we knew Max was winning. But that pass that Leclerc did on Perez, it reminded me of a little Fernando from the previous Grand Prix in Brazil. So there was some excitement. And uh, and there, as we continue... To watch history and of course the the other record that Fernando broke. I'm surprised you didn't mention it, Nasser, but I will since I have a moment. Is Fernando was the only driver on the grid that was alive during the previous Las Vegas Grand Prix. Wow, so impressive. And you know, I have a business associate. Uh, she went to Vegas and um, she told me she'll send me some pictures so I'm waiting to hear from her, and once and I get some pictures. And I told her I just don't need pictures of drivers and cars. You can get some the ambiance of the venue. That will be great. So we'll see what happens. So we move to points to ponder. The Las Vegas Grand Prix was the 1100 Formula One Championship event. In terms of races held in in each country, United States has hosted 76 races, including the Indy 500 which was part of the F1 championship from 1950 to 60. Not surprisingly, Italy is numero uno with 105 races. Second is Germany on 79, and jolly old England will catch up to the fatherland in 2024. Red Bull has matched Mercedes' record from the 2016 season, 19 wins from 21 races. Most likely, it will be a new track record at Yas Marina in two weeks. That leave Red Bull has won their last three years. Red Bull has also scored the most points in a season, 822 after Vegas. And Mr. Rogers, interestingly, this was race was on a Saturday. The last time a Formula 1 race took place on Saturday was the South African Grand Prix 1985. And sir, I used to listen to live commentary on Radio South Africa. And once upon a time, they used to have a sports show. And the host mentioned that next month they will have Jody Schechter and, on the show. And this was, I think, a few weeks before the uh, South African Grand Prix. So being an F1 fanatic, I wrote this gentleman a letter requesting if he could get an autograph of Jody. And sure enough, a few weeks after Jody appeared on this show, I got, a, I got mail from South Africa with a nice letter from this gentleman and Jody's autograph. And the good old beat, Baby Say, did the same thing for me, and they sent me a Jameson autograph. And time sure have changed. You can't do these things now. Now when I send email to interview people, I don't even get response half of the time. So it's very hard to connect with people unless you're ESPN or NBC Sports. But we keep trying, you know. Okay, sir. Uh, so that should do it. I think it's time for a Aquafina break, and then we shall return outstanding so we'll be back after these brief messages hi i'm enzo Fittipaldi, and you guys are listening to f1 weekly welcome back to f1weekly.com clark rogers here your host in now as we spin the globe and go around the world with motorsports mondial with the king the swami himself nasser hamid
Thank you, sir. And we're going to start with a feature interview today. And this is a gentleman who is originally from Toronto, O Canada, Mr. Rob Howden. I have run into him at different go-kart races. He's a very busy guy. He does a lot of commentary on karting events all across the USA. Then he's also the voice of, uh, you know, the USF series, the ladder to IndyCar racing. USF Juniors, USF 2000, 2000 Pro, and Indian X, I believe. No, not Indian X. And he's also sort of a liaison for drivers in the USF series. So this conversation took place a few weeks ago in Indianapolis, and I am very thankful for his time. And hopefully, members of F1 Feekly Familia will enjoy this chit chat. Okay, folks. We're here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and ready to go green, green, green with Mr. Rob Howden. Good to meet you, sir. How are you today? I'm fantastic. It's great to be here. Obviously, at IMS, anytime you can be at Indianapolis, it's a good day. And to have 50-plus drivers here for our USF Pro Championships Fall Combine, we are in good shape for 2024. I'm loving it. Okay, like the song, Mrs. Robinson, we'd like to know a little bit about you, starting from your birthplace, Milton, Ontario, O Canada. How did you get the racing bug? Well, for me, again, as I said, I was born in Milton. My dad was a stock car racer uh, who raced uh, for about 15 to 20 years at a Flamborough Speedway, a local track. And so I was at the track every Saturday night, fell in love with racing, stock car racing first and foremost. And then finally, uh, in my you know, early 20s, became a journalist for a publication in Canada called performance racing news they had me covering everything i covered uh, snowmobiles grass drags uh, road racing uh, i covered stock cars i covered karting for a little bit and it was actually karting that kind of got me into what i did i was i was a publisher and had my own karting magazine called uh, shifter card illustrated for a number of years then started formula car magazine uh, covering formula car racing of the drivers that moved out of karting into cars and that's really what kind of opened the doors for me in the formula car world through that magazine formula car magazine i ended up working with uh, anderson promotions uh, as their announcer in 2010 for usf 2000 no, I remember there was a magazine, Formula Magazine from Canada. Is this the same one that you're talking about? No, that was a different one. Formula Magazine was earlier than mine, a number of years earlier. Uh, mine started in about 2002 and then went to about 2008, and we covered everything underneath IndyCar, whether it was you know Formula Vs, Formula Fords, all the way up to uh, then, that point was Indy Lights. Did you do any racing yourself? I did. Uh, for me, it was karting. When I was working for Performance Racing News, I was able to do some karting events, and that was karting was accessible to me. I was, you know, I had just enough money to be able to buy a used go kart. Started that in 1995, and I raced pretty aggressively for about five years. You know, 20, 25 times a year until I started my magazine in, in 1998, 1999. And at that point, when you become a publisher, you don't get to race as much as you want. Nah, I still try to race two, three, maybe four times a year because I love it. And it's always in karting. I did some Formula Car racing uh, in the mid 2000s, but for me now, I just go, uh, go karting when I get a chance. Now, number 27 was a great racing talent from your country, and we all miss him very much. Did you ever get to meet Gilles Villeneuve? I didn't meet Gilles Villeneuve, no. Um, Jacques Villeneuve, yes, but not Gilles. Uh, the way my kind of career happened, it wasn't until the mid-90s when I really started working for Performance Racing News. Uh, I was kind of out of the sport of motorsports from, you know, in 18 years of age up to, like I said, at about, uh, about 25. Um, so that really wasn't my wheelhouse at that point. Uh, once I did get back in, obviously in, in the late 90s, I kind of wasn't in that place. So I met a lot of great drivers, but Jill's was not one of them. 
I go to karting events and you are there. We run into each other at IndyCar events. How many weekends in a year are you at racing tracks? Well, this year was actually, I've been doing this for 30 years now, obviously starting in 1993. Uh, this was my, my most busy year ever, 29 weekends uh, amongst the USF Pro Championships. And, of course, all the karting events that I go to with Supercarts USA, Challenge of the Americas, a, West, a winter series I do. So 29 in total this year, and I'm hoping, I hope to back down a little next year. I'm not getting any younger. Same here. Okay, I believe you are series director of U.S. Formula Racing with Anderson Promotions, which I think is a great program. Will you please tell our listeners how this works in helping championship-winning drivers about in the scholarship? So my position, of course, I've been the commentator for the series since, uh, since 2010, when all there was was USF 2000. Of course, we picked up the Star Mazda series at one point. That now is the USF Pro 2000 level. And, of course, a couple of years ago, starting uh, our USF Junior Series. So there's three different programs. So as the the series development director, which I started in that position a couple of years ago, I'm first and foremost kind of a liaison between the families, the drivers, and the teams and the series ownership. I'm kind of the middleman because I've known everyone for so many years. I also work a lot on driver acquisition, you know, you know, educating people that aren't part of the program to come over and be part of it. And then to answer the second part of your question, the scholarships really are the core of what we do. You know, we're a driver development program, a, a really focused ladder system when drivers move from juniors to 2000, 2000 to pro, you know, it's, it's everything's everything's laddered up horsepower downforce braking but it's the scholarship program that gives us uh, and the drivers opportunities maybe that they wouldn't have before if you win a championship within our program you're going to win a significant amount of your budget to move up to the next level and drivers like you know spencer piggott uh, in the in the mid 15s 15 16 17 uh, of course kyle kirkwood as well we've watched him come all the way through the ranks these are some drivers that probably wouldn't have made it to indycar had they not had the opportunity with the scholarship so that's really the core of our program is the you know the opportunity that we give to the, our champions to continue up the ladder system well, you kind of answered my next question, but I'll still ask. I'll go back into it. Yeah, the series has some very exciting talents. Your thoughts on some drivers, starting with Kyle Kirkford. Yeah, listen, um, I think I, I've known Kyle, obviously, through my carding with eCardingNews.com, the, the website I run now. Uh, of course, we went from web magazines to websites uh, in the mid-2000s. So eCarding News, I, you know, I followed Kyle all the way through the, the ranks as a young go-kart racer. Uh, and then, as of course, he worked himself into to our program, which was then the road to Indy. Uh, and I, I kind of tabbed him very quickly as a generational talent. There was just something different about Kyle, the way he approached the race weekends. Um, he just he just handled it better than a lot of drivers around him. They would make mistakes, and he just didn't make mistakes. Uh, and that's when he, of course, won USF 2000. And then he was the first driver to barnstorm his way through. Like normally, as we all know, in our program, you spend two years at each level. The first year, you kind of learn the car, learn the tracks, and then the second year, you come back to go after the championship. Kyle just didn't need that. He was out of the gate with Cape Motorsports in USF 2000, won the championship, then won the championship in USF Pro 2000 the following year, and then, of course, as we know, the year off with COVID, then went to the Indy Lights program and was able to win the championship there as well. So he's just... And listen, we've seen what happened, right? He ran really well for Foyt, was able to get up in the top 12 on, on occasion with Foyt, kind of punching above their weight class at the time. And then when he went to Andretti this year, two-time race winner, uh, I think he's going to be a, a long-time future superstar in IndyCar. And, of course, he came from, from us, from the USF Pro Championship, so we're quite proud of him. I'm surprised he's not with Penske, but he may be. You never know, right? We don't know how long that deal is with Andretti, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it up to Michael Andretti and J.F. Thorman over there. They saw the talent. Of course, remember, he came with them. He ran with Andretti in the Indy Lights program, which is now, of course, Indy Next. So they knew how good he was. Uh, he eventually went to Foyt for one year, but they grabbed him back very quickly. I, I would think they'll lock him down for a number of years. 
He's very good. Okay, uh, my humble opinion is the next Kyle Kirkwood is Nikita Johnson. Your thoughts on this young American talent from FLA? Yeah, I think uh, Nikita Johnson is definitely one to watch for sure. Um, obviously, a young talent. For me, that was for him. It was the the way he matured this year from last year. He was part of our very first year of USF Juniors when we used the old uh, Lige F4 car. This year, of course, the brand new Tadis JR23. So he was very strong in the F4 car. The year we, you know, the inaugural year of USF Juniors was a race winner, but was always very consistent, but very aggressive. Uh, this year, he kind of seems like he dialed the aggression back just a little bit and w- was just fantastic in USF 2000. Obviously, was a race winner there. You know, we know that the talent he has. He's still so super young, but I think we saw what he was able to do in the USF Pro 2000 car at the, you know, the end of the year at the Circuit of the Americas, getting a race win there. That's, I think, a little indication of, of how good he can be. He's very young still, and that's the amazing thing. He's got lots of seat time, uh, does a lot of testing overseas as well in Europe with uh, VRD's uh, cooperation with Arden, uh, you know, in GB3 and GB4. He gets a chance to run different equipment over there, so he's given the opportunity to drive as much as he can, and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens and what he decides to do this year. I would expect USF Pro 2000, but he may do a lot of races over in Europe as well. We're not quite sure what he's going to do for 2024. Yeah, very good talent. Okay, Nolan Siegel will be in his second year of Indy next in 2024, and Miles Rowe will be a rookie. Who do you see between these two and Louis Foster as the champion in 2024? You know, that's a really interesting question. Um, you, you look at uh, Nolan and, and Louis, right? Both winners last year as, as rookies in Indy Next, both with great teams, one with HMD Motorsports for Siegel, and, of course, Louis Foster, who won the USF Pro 2000 Championship with Exclusive Autosports a couple of years ago, or the scholarship last year. He's with Andretti. And then Miles Rowe with HMD. And it, for me, I think it's... For, for each three drivers, they're all in different situations. You know, I think Siegel and Foster, they're in their second year, right? They're looking after the championship right now. Siegel's kind of looking at the championship potentially midseason, but had a couple of bad runs and that allowed Christian Rasmussen to come to the forefront. But, you know, Siegel and Foster are both going to be like, it'll be nothing but wins and championships for them to be successful. Both will or be, be happy. I think both are bound for IndyCar eventually. Uh, Louis is a fantastic driver. You know, it's just unbelievable. And I think Nolan Siegel, we've watched from a 14-year-old in USF 2000 with Newman Walks Racing to, to come where he has come. He's such a mature young man, and both those drivers are going to win races in 2024. For me, when it comes to Miles, I think he's he could win those races. I just hope that he takes the time to breathe and realize he doesn't have to win. Because Miles Miles needs to be on a two-year program, in my, in my opinion, in, in Indy next. There's no hurry. He's going to go to IndyCar. You know, we know he has the talent. We saw what he did in USF Pro 2000. And he's matured over the last couple of years. I just hope he doesn't push too hard next year to try to win a lot of races where he potentially makes some mistakes. Yeah. I think if he settles in, has a really consistent year, he'll start winning races in the second half of the season. And he can come back in 2025 and be the dominant driver. And then we could see him in IndyCar in 2026. But he asked me the question... Will it be Nolan or will it be Louis Foster? I said, somebody asked me this yesterday, and I said probably Louis Foster. I think Louis Foster will win the championship, but I think he and Siegel are going to be battling all the way to the very end. Yeah, great. Okay, um, any other driver you rate highly who are uh, testing here this weekend? Uh, yeah, I think I rate a lot of drivers unbelievably highly right now. We, we're excited to see some Europeans coming over, kind of trying, trying what they have here right now. I think uh, the Paps drivers, we would look forward to be good. Obviously, Simon Sykes, you know, winning the championship last year. But Jacob Douglas has been good here on the opening day uh, here at the Fall Combine. Both those drivers, I think, will be very strong. Uh, 
the pro category, I think, is going to be one of the tighter classes we've seen in a long time. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the kind of the, the, the pro field fits in. I think the biggest. Uh, I don't want to say surprise, but maybe you throw a little, uh, a little wrench into the, uh, the ideas of others, was the fact that Braden Eves is back with exclusive autosport. Former USF 2000 champion, a, pro, a USF Pro 2000 race winner, on the, essentially on the, on the couch last year. Um, I think he's going to be an immediate title contender if he's with exclusive autosport and John Hayes is the engineer. So I think those drivers are, are definitely some to watch. I think it's going to be exciting. We'll see what happens with the drivers from TJ Speed. They've got some new drivers. Francesco Pizzi, if he comes back, could be in the fight. Uh, and then, of course, Matt Clark, if he's able to put the program together for D-Force, he could be there. Uh, USF 2000, I think, is going to be interesting because Evagoras Papasavos was kind of the big guy last year who's coming back race winner last year uh, at, uh, at Mid-Ohio, so he may be the one to watch in USF 2000, but there are some more guys like Nicholas Giafoni, who won USF Juniors last year, that could be there. Anybody in a Paps car could win, right? Whether it's Max Garcia, uh, Jason Pribble's testing with them now, he looked really good, so we'll see what happens in terms of the Paps drivers. And then last but not least, USF Juniors, Jack Jeffers was a race winner last year for Exclusive Autosport. I think he'll kind of lead the way to a certain extent this year, coming back for his second season, although Aiden and Grotta who is one of the top carters in North America, senior level carters, and it was a rookie in that level. I think he's from Southern Ontario, up in Canada, and I think he's a name that nobody really knows about yet. He ran one race last year at Road America, and I think he'll, Eden Ingrata is going to be a guy that's going to challenge for race wins as soon as we start the season in 2024. Now, one kid I thought would walk the championship this season is Lockie Hughes, the Aussie mate. Um, how do you rate him and also Kiko Porto from Brazil? Yeah, let's start with Lockie Hughes. Of course, last year was in a good championship battle, right, with Simon Sykes. Uh, had a couple issues that kind of, f- he fell by the wayside in the second half of the season. But remember, the first four races of the year this past year, he won at least one race every weekend. This guy can win almost everywhere. Uh, it, again, it'll be, it'll, Jay Howard has the cars are able to win, as we know. Chris, Christian Rasmussen won in USF Pro 2000, so they have the ability to win. So I probably should have thrown Lockie's name in there because, you know, even though he'll be a rookie, uh, in the USF Pro category, I think he'll be able to win right out of the gate as well. So Lockie's definitely one to watch. Kiko Porto, uh, again, he's moving up to Indy next, right? We won't see him back. He's going to be coaching the drivers at DeForce Racing in the USF Pro 2000 class. I don't know yet if Kiko has anything locked in. I would love to have seen him in the next car at the Chris Griffiths test, which happened on Friday here at the Speedway. Uh, he obviously showed really well with Cape uh, at the end of the season when he went over Randy Indy next. I don't know that he has a, a program lined in. He's obviously not with Andretti. They're pr- pretty much locked out. I don't know if he's going to end up in next next year or not. Uh, if he does, I think he'll be strong. We'll see what kind of plays out in terms of budget-wise and, and where we may see him kind of find himself a seat. I enjoy watching USF races live on YouTube. Why on earth the Indy Next races are not on YouTube? <laughs> I, you know what? That's that's really not in our wheelhouse anymore. Anderson Promotions. You know, we we managed the Indy Lights program for a number of years. IndyCar took that back uh, and then turned it into, of, cor- of course, Indy Next. So it's under the IndyCar banner now. And everything they do, obviously, they want to have uh, either on NBC or on Peacock. So uh, all of their events, all the IndyCar events, are available on Peacock. Uh, NBC's Peacock, so they're not on YouTube. So I, I get. I, people complain about how much Peacock costs. For me, if you're a motorsports fan, just don't eat out for dinner one weekend and you can afford you can afford Peacock. I, I think it's great coverage myself. So uh, the bottom line is that's IndyCar's call. And, and if you want to watch those races, they're all available on Peacock. In the world of karting, is Parker Ives' real deal? 
Parker Ives. So we're going to go from the top to the bottom because Parker's a young driver in the micro swift and the micro cadet categories. And yeah, I think Parker's a great driver to watch. There are there are a number of very talented young kids coming up through the cadet classes, which are the micro and mini classes, anywhere from seven to you know eleven to twelve years of age. Uh, and Parker's one we've had fun watching. He's been part of that lead group for the youngest group and on the national level, and he uh, was able to win a bunch of races. I think he won the USPKS championship this year, I believe. So yeah. one of the titles, at least, Parker was able to win. So uh, listen. When you're that young and you start learning how to win races, the, the, the race craft these kids have in the cadet category blows me away. That Sometimes they race better than the, than the older kids. They don't crash as much, right? They get into the lead group and kind of show the strategy. So Parker's just got to keep racing. He's got to be, as long as he's having fun, number one, keep racing, getting as much seat time as you can, and uh, he's already shown the abilities. So Parker Ives could definitely be one to watch. Maybe we'll see him in the USF Pro Championships in what? five or six years by the time he gets to us. Yeah, My friend has a son also racing in Micro Swift. Uh, how do you rate Pasha Ali? Pasha Ali? That's fantastic. So yeah, Pasha, you know what? He took leaps and bounds this year. Um, we watched him. Actually had a lot of bad luck, to be honest. There was a bunch of races where he just he was super fast and had some bad luck. Lost a chain or something broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had some really good, strong runs here over the, uh, over the course of the 2023 season. So again, it's all about experience, right? He runs some regional races. He runs some national races. I think the Posh is a driver that we saw on the top ten this year. We're going to see a lot of top fives and and more wins. He won a couple of races, I think, this year. And he's going to win more races in the future for sure. Very talented. Thanks. Um, And good to hear that. Okay, now, you've seen a lot of young drivers go all the way from karting to Indy cars. What do you think is the biggest mistake young carters make when they come into single-seaters? Here's the big difference between karting and, and cars is you simply can't drive it the same. You know, we all, everybody knows karting is the purest form of motorsports. Any Formula One driver, any car driver will tell you, I started in karting. Everybody should start in karting. But you have to make the transition from karting to cars. It's a lot different. First off, it's just the size of the car itself. You know, when you're in a cart, it's not very wide, it's not very long. You're literally sitting over the back of the rear axle. A lot of drivers struggle when they're in the middle of tight racing to forget that there's about six or seven feet of race car behind you, and they'll you know they'll come across after making a pass, and then they'll make contact. So that's really the biggest thing. And karting drivers can be very very aggressive. Although it's open wheel karting is, we have enough bodywork around the car with a full width rear bumper, the front fairing, the front nose piece, and the side pods. It's almost like a closed wheel car. So they'll just charge their way up on the inside of somebody in turn number one like they would in a cart and try to bounce off them. When you, That doesn't happen, as we know, in an open wheel car. You're going to flip somebody. You're going to damage, a, uh, you know, you'll damage your uh, front suspension either side. So I think a lot of those drivers struggle with being able to race side by side because they just they drive like they were in karting. They need to temper things back and be more aware of their surroundings. That's the biggest thing. I think breaking off, you know, there's the driving dynamics, the braking, the cornering, the way you have to drive the car, rolling off the brakes. But the most part is just spatial awareness, understanding where everybody is around you. Because the minute you wreck, you're losing lap time, losing track time and seat time. So I want to see those drivers be smarter, less aggressive, so that they're going to benefit by time on the racetrack. Now, going back to Maple Leaf Land, your compadre Lance Troll is struggling in Formula One. His papa says he has been unlucky. Some say problem is the ombre in the other seat. Shall we go red, red, red on his Formula One career? What say you? Ah, uh, you'll hear. Here's the thing. 
I love it when people kind of kind of bang on Lance because the bottom line is is that he you know has obviously got a rich father right. He, he, they essentially to a certain extent bought their way into Formula One. Yeah, you know, as many drivers have come through, you have to have the funding to get to Formula One. But he did everything you needed to do on the way up. He won all the races. He won the championships. You know that that you would say the skill is there for sure. It's an easy mark to say that he's just a, you know a, a rich driver or who doesn't have the talent. But we know he does. For me, I just think for a lot of the drivers, Formula One's such a mental game that if you if you get out of sync mentally and you're stressing and you and you start doubting yourself to a certain extent, it's you're under the microscope all the time. So I think that Lance has all the skills he needs. Uh, sometimes it's just mental. You know, literally, if he went on, if he went on a run where he had you know eight top ten or five top ten runs, or if he gets on a run where he has some really good runs, gets in the top five a couple of times, it's going to change his mental side, right, for sure. And we know Formula One's so car dependent. If your car's not that great, you're battling really just with your teammates. So I just feel a lot of it's just metal. I think he's, I think he's in the middle of the Formula One grind right now, and, uh, and that's the tough part. You know, you've got to be able to be strong mentally as well. Were you at the 2012 Scusa uh, Nationals? I've announced every Scusa Nationals, all all uh, 25 of them. So yes, I was there. Yeah, you know who won the event. I, I listen. I, I've had a chance to see a lot of drivers race there. Um, I've seen George Russell win there. I interviewed George Russell when he won. Lance Stroll won there as well. Max Verstappen was on the pole in KZ. We talked there. Charles Leclerc was there as well. But yes, Michael Schumacher uh, came and raced the Scusa Super Nationals as well. And that's really one of my. If I look at all 25 that I've done, that was a really special year when, when Michael was there because when he did come, I'm, of course, the commentator for the event, have been uh, through all 25 editions, and he and I sat down at one point the start of the weekend because I, I wanted to find out what access I had to him, and he was so gracious. He said, anytime I'm down in where the, within the, where the racetrack is, you have me whenever you want. So after every session, he and I talked. He, was, he, just, he loves the sport, I think, as we know, right? And the minute he came out of the racetrack up, out of the out of the track itself into the paddock area, swamped by fans, the people that were there wanting him to sign things, you know. But he was there for his team, his Tony Kart team. But he and I had a lot of fun. We did a lot of great interviews, and he was super impressive. And and I think for myself and everybody at Supercarts USA, the concept was to give him a place that he could be there to enjoy the sport. We wanted to make sure that he was able just to be another racer, and that was, I think, a very very special thing for all of us. Yeah, I was there at Scusa 2012, and Lance Stroll beat. George Russell, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc. So I knew that this guy may not have as much talent as his daddy has money, but he is very well, quick. Listen, when you can win that race, like I said, Verstappen, I talked about the Fennel Russell, the guys we've had, Pato Award. You think about the, 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 the IndyCar drivers that were there as well, right? Pato Award, he's a winner at the Super Nationals. Kyle Kirkwood was a winner at the Super Nationals. All these guys have won at the Super Nats as well, right? So, uh, and the year, that, the year that Stroll won, I think he was on the Zanardi chassis as well, and Alex Zanardi chassis was CRG. So he, like I said, like he and Russell have both won in what then was the Tag Junior class. That's a top level of junior racing so we've seen so many great young drivers come to the super nationals and get some victories there and, and go on to either be indycar stars or as we know in formula one as well now we want the facts not we don't want you jumping on the pc bandwagon on my next question <laughs> when have i ever done a pc no this could be the first I, no probably not well how do you rate chances of jamie chadwick making it to indycar seriously 
Well, again, I think she'd done everything I would have wanted to do the first year, right? Again, she came out of the W Series, which she was obviously able to dominate. We saw what she was able to do. She makes it, so it's a pretty big jump, I think, up from what was a regional F3 car. The W Series car wasn't an FIA F3 car. It was more of a regional F3 car. So it's a pretty solid jump. She literally probably could have came over to USF Pro 2000 first. That would have been probably a better car for her to learn the racetracks here. Instead, she she jumps into the deep end, right, with Indy Next in what was... Probably the best Indy Next field we've seen ever, <laughs> to be honest, at, at the amount of cars and the amount of talent we had. So, uh, for, for me, I watched her get better and better. If you look at her average finish in the start of the year, average finish in the second half of the year, she was picking up the racetrack. She was picking up everything. Uh, I think for her to come back, she could do three years. In my mind, I think again, I think she should have been in USF Pro this year. Totally agree with right? you. So that so so let's let's just call this first year in Indy Next kind of a throwaway year. She was testing. So she in my mind, I know she doesn't want this, but she could do two more years of Indy Next, like Stingray Rob did, and be a driver that runs top five. And again, to go to IndyCar, it's not all about talent. You have to have the funding. You have to have the storyline, and she obviously does that. We want to see another female in, in IndyCar. So I 100% could see her in IndyCar. It depends on where the opportunities lie because the field's growing. More teams are coming in. There are drivers that are starting to retire. So will there be a place for her to come in? Uh, will it be with Andretti? Will it be with another team? I just think that if they don't push her, she will eventually become a top five driver. She's going to get stronger. She understands what it takes to drive those cars. So she's going to get better in terms of knowing the car. All the tracks, again, remember all the drivers she's racing on. If you look at the field, right, there was only two drivers or three drivers that didn't come up through the USF Pro Championships. We essentially gave a vast majority of the field have come with us. So they've come through USF 2000, USF Pro 2000. They have so much more experience on these tracks than she does. She was so far behind the eight ball coming in that she was having to dig out of a hole all year long. So I think people need to, if anybody's, uh, let's say, uh, putting a, a paw, a black mark on this season for her, they need to realize this was a really a fact-finding mission for her. I think, I think that she's going to show a lot better next year. She's going to be a top 10 driver on a regular basis next year. And then she gives herself one more year, she'll be primed and ready to go to IndyCar. I personally believe that she'll be able to do it. Is she... Is it going to be a lot of work? Yeah, it is. It's going to be a lot of work. She's small. She's not like. It's not even that she's not strong. She's just tiny, and to be that small, that that she's a, she's tiny, and it's there's not a lot of leverage inside the car. So she's going to have to get super strong to be able to hustle around. Number one, a next car, and then of course an Indy car as well. And these Indy next cars don't have power steering. No, they do not. No, there's no power steering whatsoever. So you're really having to hustle the car around for sure. And again, you think about the fact that you come up through the, the USF Pro Championships. Every time you go to the next level, it's more horsepower, more downforce, more braking, and more more tires, more grip. Well, the minute you get to you know you go from 280 horsepower in a in a pro car to 450 in a next car, and then of course you jump up to massive horsepower in the Indy car. So. I, Personally, I was impressed by what she did this year. I think she just needs to keep her head down. I greatly appreciate and thank you for your time. Finally, how about a listener message to listeners of F1 Weekly? And we have listeners all over the world, including in the great North White. Well, I would tell you this. Again, uh, the one beauty of, I don't care if you're a Formula One fan or if you're an IndyCar fan. Uh, and again, I'll just I'll give a shout out to the entire ladder system in, the, in Europe as well. F4, FREC, F3, F2 over here uh, through the Skip Barber School and then into our program, USF Juniors, USF 2000, USF Pro 2000. If you pay attention and follow this level of racing, it's kind of like if you're a baseball fan, you're watching single A, double A, triple A. Uh, it's, if, you're a if you're a football fan, you're watching some of the you know the, the lower levels of the program it's all about 
getting a chance to see the future stars now, right? You get a chance to see the Pato Awards, the Kyle Kirkwoods, uh, the Renus VKs before they get to the top level. You get a chance to understand who they are and get a feel for it. So I always tell people that if you're a racing fan, pay attention to the ladder system like the USF Pro Championships because you can develop that, that feel, you can develop that following for a young driver and follow them all the way through till they get to IndyCar. You mentioned Skip Barber Racing School. Uh, between this and Lucas Racing School, which one would you recommend for a kid coming out of karting? Well, for, for me, the Skip Barber Racing School is our official series for the USF Pro Championships. And, of course, you win the championship there, uh, you get a $100,000 scholarship to move in to USF Juniors. So we're, I'm a big fan of the Skip Barber program. If you finish second in the championship, you get a full season, again, in Skip Barber. Third, you get a half a season. They have so many things in place to allow the driver, like we do with our scholarships, to keep racing, even though they, maybe they can't afford it. So I'm a big fan of the Skip Barber program. The the Lucas Oil School, we were partners with them for many years. A great race car. Good instructors there as well. Any young driver coming into the sport, trying to get into motorsports, uh, trying to get into our program, go to a racing school. Do the three-day school. Do some lapping. I will, of course, they're our partners, so Skip Barber, in my mind, is a place to be right now with everything they have. But do the lapping, lapping days. They'll teach you everything you need to know so you line up to get an opportunity to come racing with us. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Rob, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Back to you, Nasser. Thank you, sir. Um, do you remember a book called On a Clear Day You Can See GM? One of my favorite books, Nas. Yes. So basically, On a Clear Day You Can See GM now in Formula One. The Bowtie Brigade has announced it has formally registered as a Formula One power unit manufacturer starting from 2028 and plan to supply and ready Cadillac as a full works team. Some reports are saying the engine will be built by Elmore. I mean, these are the people who built the original Mercedes engine back in England. And uh, so this gentleman, Mark Reuse, who is GM president, he said, and let me quote, we are thrilled that our new and ready Cadillac F1 entry will be powered by a GM power unit. With our deep engineering and racing expertise, we're confident we'll develop a successful power unit for the series and position and ready Cadillac as a true works team. We will run with the very best at the highest levels with passion and integrity that will help elevate the sport for race fans around the world. End quote. And you know, this is very good news. Uh, Michael Andretti and his people, they have done anything and everything they were asked by Formula One. But, you know, these uh, FOM, Toto Wolf and his cronies, I was watching Toto's interview. Well, I have not seen anything. They have to show us some numbers, how it will promote the sport, how it will be beneficial. I mean, this is just getting to be very, very pathetic. What say you? Well, it's classic. F1, I mean, people don't understand. There's arrogance everywhere. We're, we're a little arrogant. But Toto and, and his cronies are so arrogant that Michael Andretti is absolutely correct. They do look down on these people as hillbillies from the from the Kentucky Appalachia Hills or something. It's pretty bizarre, and it, it's embarrassing. I think it's a type of racism deep down. The problem is the FIA don't have any control over this. FOM could put their foot down and not allow them in. Yeah, but, you know, they will have to find a solution. And I don't know what it will be, but uh, if the FIA, because there is also this issue of that if they do that, then this can go, get ugly under the European Union 
and Patriot's Law, and I, you know, I'm not F. Lee Bailey, so I cannot comment on this, but I've read this from several senior people. So let's say, hopefully they will, what I'm thinking, you know, first of all, they can increase the 200 to 300 or 400, or they cannot allow Andretti team to get money for the first two years or three years. It has to make sense for all parties. You cannot say you'll never get any money or it will be a 10-year block. That will be ridiculous. But, you know, some of these teams, uh, like, you know, Toto Wolf, he's already talking about a succession plan and who knows, Mercedes may bail out, you know, these big companies come and go. Honda had decided to come back and they did a maybe come back to you. And Renault has come and gone. So I am very hopeful. I would love to see this entry granted in Mario Andretti's lifetime. It will be such an incredible achievement for that name. Okay, sir, uh, where are we going now? Okay, as if he needs more. Show me the money, says Lance Stroll, Lauren Stroll. Now, this news I'm sure you've heard. Aston Martin Formula One team sells stakes to private equity firm at one billion valuation. Now, what is not clear from all the reports I have read, is that a just a stake that has been sold or this is Lauren Stroll's stake? Because if this is Lauren Stroll's stake, no sensible guy is going to keep Lance Stroll in the team. How do you look at this? I think it's very confusing, to be honest with you, and I don't know the underlying situation. I agree with you. I, I think Lance Lawrence, excuse, excuse me, I think he wants to get out of this, and a uh, billion dollars would suit him just fine. Yeah, and the uh, private equity firm is called Octos Partner, and surprise, surprise, once again based in the good old USFA. Okay, sir, now we go to Macau Grand Prix. After a few years away, the Formula 3 cars are back in the high life in Macau. With corner names like San Francisco and Maternity Ben, you know an exciting race will be delivered every year, and this year was no exception. Outside the world of Formula 1 racing, Macau Grand Prix is one of my favorite events. Others being not in any order, Bathurst 1000, Dakar Rally, Le Mans, and the Big Daddy at the Brickyard, the Indy 500. And of these events, I've never been to Bathurst and I've never attended Dakar Rally, but I am totally committed with new motivation to make this happen in the next two years. So we'll see how it goes. The winner was Williams Academy driver from UK, Luke Browning. And I watch this race. I watch it every year. Uh, Dennis Hogger from Norway was second and third was Gabriel Mini from Sicily. Cool Hand Luke also won the qualifying race on Saturday. In fact, he led all laps in both races despite tremendous street hustle normally associated with Macau. Now, uh, these races are on YouTube and I've spoken to a lot of drivers who have raced there. And they just speak very highly of this uh, track. And our man in California, uh, chap, Philip Pegler, was also there um, and was very impressed. It's a very tight uh, street circuit. And it's I always enjoy it. And they also do the uh, GT race, which was won in a Mercedes by Rafael Marcello. Okay, MotoGP from Losail, Qatar, or Qatar, as the natives would say. Maiden win for 25-year-old Fabio D. John Antonio over championship leader Francesco Benyaya. He was second with Luca Marini, uh, who was driving for um, Valentino Rossi's team and is uh, his stepbrother. He was third and all three riding on Ducati. WRC World Rally Championship from Nihon, also known as Japan, 
Toyota 123, led by Elvin Evans from Wales, ahead of your compadre Frenchman Sebastian Ogier. Kale Rovanpera from Finlandia was third. Now, sir, we come to some driver um, signing. Leah Block will race next season in the all-female F1 Academy Series under Williams F1 Colors, and all the cars are running under one of the F1 teams. Leah is the daughter of the late uh, Ken Block. She has been mostly involved in rallycross and stuff like this, so we wish her well. Now we come to Viva JD. Like you mentioned, the 1996 world champion married his girlfriend Julia at the wedding chapel inside the Formula One paddock in Vegas. And you know, this was the lady who arranged, uh, helped arrange the interview with JD at Sebring this year. And she very nice uh, lady, and JD was also very nice to me, and she was pregnant at that time. So, wedding, congratulations to JB and Miss Julia. Hi, I'm world champion Jack Villeneuve. Congratulations to F1 Weekly on 1000 Podcast. Now, sir, we look at Vegas in rearview mirror and look at the previous two Formula One races in the parking lot of Caesars Palace. 1981 Caesars Palace Grand Prix. The first Formula One race in the Silver and Sin State took place on October 17th. 1981, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix. It was the 15th and final round and championship deciding race. The new and first time world champion was going to be either from Argentina or Brazil. Things were looking good for Williams driver Carlos Reutemann as he took pole position. The race was won by another Williams driver, Alan Jones, and Carlos could only manage to finish eighth. He was pipped to the championship by a point by Nelson Piquet, whose problem came in fifth. And you know, when I interviewed Carlos Reutemann in Buenos Aires in 2011, I asked him about this race and if he had any thoughts of stuffing people uh, PK into the wall. And much to his credit, Carlos said no. He did not want to win the championship that way. Didier Peroni in a Ferrari set the fastest lap. And sir, I did not mention in the Vegas Grand Prix, fastest lap was set by Oscar Piastri. Now, one driver who failed to finish, or who failed to qualify for the 1981 Vegas Grand Prix, was Slim Borger from Sweden. He used to be a drummer for ABBA. I guess he took a chance on Caesars Palace Grand Prix and did not work out. The second parking lot Grand Prix took place on September 25, 1982. And sir, this was the month I went to Monza in 1982, of course, and I was at my aunt's place in London and I watched the race live on BBC. Again, it was final race and championship deciding race of the season, round 16 of the 1982 season. Again, two drivers were fighting to win the championship for the first time. KK Rosberg, his only win of the season, came at Dijon Prenois in the Swiss Grand Prix. And John Watson, who had twice as many wins as KK in Zolder, Belgium and Detroit. KK turned out to be the Julius at the end of the season's palace Grand Prix. Michele Alboreto in a Tyrell won the race. And now, sir, we come to uh, famous last words. Toto losing his cool. Let's listen in total to Toto going ballistic over Black Eye comment at the uh, team principal press conference. That is not a Black Eye. This is nothing. We are Thursday night. We have a free practice session one that we are not doing. They're going to seal the brain train covers and nobody's going to talk about that tomorrow morning anymore. Did you ask the question? 
It's completely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. FP1, how can you even dare trying to uh, talk bad about an event that sets the new standards, new standards to everything? And then you're, then you're speaking about a drain cover that's been undone that has happened before that's nothing it's fp1 give credit to the people that have set up this grand prix that have that have made this sport much bigger than it ever was you can have you ever spoken good about someone and written a good word you should about all these people that have been out here liberty has done an awesome job and just because in fp1 a drain cover has become undone we shouldn't be we shouldn't be moaning the car is broken that's really a shame for Carlos. It could have been, it could have been dangerous. So between the FA and the track and everybody needs to analyze how we can make sure that this is not happening again. But talking here about the black eye for the sport on a Thursday evening, nobody watches that in European time anyway. Okay, sir. Finally, some fun fact on the planet of Las Vegas from the website planetf1.com. And Vegas is a world of its own. This is interesting. <laughs> There are 150,259 hotel rooms in all of Las Vegas. That's more than any other city in the world. It would take 411 years for one person to spend one night in every hotel room in Vegas. And that brings us to men from Stockton, not too far from Vegas, Stockton, California, that is, and Senor Chris Isaac. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy Blue Hotel. Bye-bye. Good night. Every room.